And the only thing that's re- that really started to capture my interest, and this is ironic actually where I am now, is when I first started, is I was like, I'm not doing surgery, I hate surgery, I'm not going near implants, I'll restore them, but I'm not placing them, because I was afraid of surgery, because I, ha- I didn't have the clinical knowledge and the experience. Welcome to the Dental Implant Podcast, with your host, Pav Kara, your source of knowledge for all things relating to dental implants. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something valuable. I hope. Pav, how you doing, mate? I'm good. I'm good. It's, uh, yeah, I'm uh, about to start work at, at, at Evo, so he's, uh, I'm not doing surgery today, which is really strange, because I do surgery, like, if I'm here four days a week, I normally do surgery at least three, if not four days a week. So coming in on a Monday, not having surgery, I'm just like, wow, okay, that's weird. But yeah. What have you got planned today? What, what, what's the kind of agenda for treatments today? It's just uh, review appointments and, uh, and consults, basically. Um, so it's uh, one of my other colleagues, he's, he's doing the surgery today. And then I've got some uh, pretty interesting cases lined up for the rest of the week. So yeah, it's good, yeah. Amazing. Well, for those who, who don't know Pav, I'm going to give my little introduction before I, you can do your official one. But uh, Pav is the host of the Dental Implant Podcast, uh, and he is a, a friend that goes back. I'd say um, a large proportion of why I started to really get involved with occlusion and splint therapy and AMSAs was because of you. We invited you to our study club back, oh gosh, about seven years ago now. And you came in London, and you just uh, inspired me so much. Uh, I think you remember that night, right? I do remember it, yes. So you set something off uh, at that time, my friend. So it's, it's, it's great to, to have you on the show today because, you, you know, you were an so important, important cog in my journey and really important um, mentor, if you like. So, so it's been great to see how you have niched into implants since then. And, you know, what a great way to introduce the theme of today's episode, which is uh, niching down or if you're, in the, if you're in the US or somewhere else, niching down, which just sounds wrong. Uh, but, but Pav, tell us who you are for those listening around the world uh, and you're about your new journey as a podcaster as well before we dive into the nitty gritty. Yeah, so it's uh, for those listening to my podcast, this is a welcome to the next episode of the Dental Implant Podcast. Um, and Jazz, I just want to say uh, apologies for sucking you into the black hole of chronic pain. You know, it's a, it's a weird journey. But yeah, I, I, I do actually remember that evening uh, a, a lot. And um, you were asking all the right questions. And I remember thinking to myself at the time, I was like, he gets it. I was like, he's going to go far with this. Um, and similarly, it's, you know, it's, I think we spoke a few months ago and you basically turned around and said to me, Pab, we've got a lot of information, why don't you set up a podcast? So in that context, you're my mentor, you know, you gave <laughs> me advice on how to set things up. So a little bit of background uh, about myself, it's I graduated in 2002 from Guy's Hospital. Um, I purchased my own private practice in, I think it was 2004, 2005, um, struggled along with it for the best part of nine years, ended up having to close the business. I, as well as closing the business, because I'd given a personal guarantee on it, I ended up going bankrupt as a result as well. Um, and uh, after that, it was just like, because uh, I received bad business advice from a lot of people as well. Can you can you give us an example? I mean, generic bad. What is an example of bad business advice, if you don't mind? Uh, so, a generic example of bad business advice, and this had happened to me, where people are turning around and saying to you, "You can turn your business around. Just do this, this, and this. Keep paying me. I'll keep telling you what to do." Whereas what they should have done, and what the law says they should have done, is looked at my books and turned around and says, "I'm sorry, your business isn't solvent. You should pull the plug." 
and it was mm. actually a um, it was actually an external person who came who ended up she was actually a, a patient of mine and I can't remember how we got onto this subject uh, but I told her that the business was struggling and she goes well you know she goes that I, I'm in finance do you, do you want me to look at the books and I looked at her and she just came back to me and she turned around and said you know what she goes you need to pull the plug she goes whether you want to hear it or not she said you're going to lose this business at some point she goes you, you, you're going to be better off doing it sooner rather than later and I said to her, but, you know, my business coaches were telling me it's okay, you know, they'll be able to turn the business around. Uh, and she goes, I don't know who's told you that, but she goes, that's not appropriate advice. Wow. So it's, um, and that's when I realized that I was much more comfortable as a clinician as opposed to a business owner. Some people thrive mm-hmm. as business owners, you know, and I've got great friends where, you know, they own practices and they're ex- exceptionally busy, exceptionally successful it just wasn't for me, you know, in terms of clinical work. I was far, far, far more comfortable in that. I would definitely say I'm the same path. I mean, I, I, I'm, I get asked all the time, Jazz, when you open your practice, uh, and I guess, you know, it's something that I've really thought hard about, but I feel exactly the same as you. I feel like I, I, I love my clinical dentistry uh, and um, other pursuits and passions. So to devote my time to all the stressful yet rewarding activities of a, a thriving business owner, multiple practices, that kind of stuff, it's just not for me. And sometimes uh, self-realization is such a huge proponent in, in your success in the future and knowing what you actually like. I think the flip side to that coin, because there's a silver lining in every crowd jazz, is because I had a business which was struggling, I was constantly, you know, I need to bring more income into the business. I need to bring more income. So I was learning a lot. So I had a lot of training in uh, fixed removable prosthodontics. I did a lot of training in the U.S. with Frank Spear. Uh, I was one of the first to implement six-month smiles in the U.K., and in fact, the guy who said he was the first to implement six month smiles on the UK, he was on the same course that I was. So, <laughs> so, um, you know, and uh, I went down the ortho route, as you know, I went down the, the, the chronic pain route for quite a few years for S for S. I could do full mouth reconstructions, um, IV sedation. Uh, but what I found is I was getting bored clinically quite a lot. You know, as I'd start. But why? You, you had so many different variations. Like you just mentioned all those things. And it, just, it ties in so perfectly. One of my main questions, which I think yeah. we can, I can just ask now because it's perfect timing, is being the jack of all trades, which sounds like you were. You were doing your sedation, ortho, complex reconstructions, fix and removal. That is, for me, a super GP, right? Super GP territory. Um, so w- why not have that? And why then eventually decide to niche down? Uh, well, for example, when I was doing full mouth reconstructive work, either an arch or a full mouth, when you first start doing it, there's this rush, there's this, oh, you know, I need to learn this, I need to do it this way. Then it it gets to a point where you're proficient at it. Now, I'm not saying all cases are easy, but you end up almost going through the motions a little bit. And you're like, okay, as long as I follow these steps, I know I'm going to have a predictable result. And the only thing that's re- that really started to capture my interest, and this is ironic actually where I am now, is when I first started is I was like, I'm not doing surgery. I hate surgery. I'm not going near implants. I'll restore them, but I'm not placing them because I was afraid of surgery because I, ha- I didn't have the clinical knowledge and the experience. Mm-hmm. And after a while, when I got bored with the rest of it, I was like, okay, let me do a, uh, an implant course. And well, it, it just took off from there. You know, I started to realize quite quickly 
Well, the reason why I like implants is you do actually have to think of the restorative. You've got to think of the perio. There's, there's a lot of times you've got to think of ortho. So for me, implant dentistry is, is actually all-encompassing. It encompasses everything that, that I've learned so far. And for me, it was just a natural progression to start to niche down in, into implants because I found more than anything else, that is what I loved. And I think we, we hear this a lot um, and we don't take it on board in that a lot of people here, you can't be a master of all trades. You can be mm -hmm. relatively proficient at a number of different things, but it takes a long time to become extremely proficient, even in one thing. So to multiply that out becomes very, very difficult. And I'm not saying that there aren't people out there who are supremely proficient at a lot of different things, because obviously there are people out there. But what happened for myself is I just got to the point where I enjoyed implants so much, I started to progress more down that route. I was doing more courses. Uh, I ended up doing my master's degree. And uh, it's, it's, it's like a natural progression in anything. So what ended up happening is, is I was only doing implants in my practice. Then I was branching out and doing implants in other practices. And quite recently, about 10 months ago, uh, I got very lucky and, very, and landed on my feet um, because I joined the team at Evo Dental. Now, if you think placing just implants is niche, well, at Evo Dental, all we do is treat full arches and, and full mounts. So my typical day is a dual arch, 10 implants, and you know we, we do that. We do that five days a week. So for for me, it was almost like a natural progression, moving from boredom and necessity to bring more income into the practice to all of a sudden finding something that I love and starting to expand those skills. And the niche kind of like developed itself. Um, I did, uh, as I said, I was lucky, um, you know, I've ended up at Evo, uh, but it was just a natural progression that I was doing more and more implants. Th thanks so much for that very honest reflection on how it started in terms of the necessity to keep your business running afloat and having to dabble in different skills and upskill yourself and eventually, almost by accident, landing into implants because you felt, okay, let me try a course and then just uh, took off from there. Yeah. I guess to use an analogy, you had to kiss many frogs before you found your prince. But then yes. what would you give, um, what advice would you give to, to young dentists? couple of years qualified, which, which they hear this advice, right? And, and I'm hoping in this episode, Pav, we're going to make it really tangible because you hear this all the time. The, the guru is always saying, find your niche, find your niche. But if there's no predictable formula to find your niche, like you might just accidentally fall upon it. You might have a mentor that inspires you. So um, I do feel as though, how can you find your niche if you haven't given it a chance? Like my niche might be endo and I haven't discovered it yet because I haven't given endo a chance. So what would you give to someone first five years qualified or even dentist students or, or in, in that sort of young dentist category to help them? find their niche? Some people will never actually develop a niche. They'll be quite comfortable in general dentistry. But the other thing I would say is don't rush into trying to find a niche too soon. Let's go back a step. This is actually what happened to me. I was like, okay, my niche is going to be cosmetic dentistry. It's going to be veneers. It's going to be formal reconstruction. Then it's like, okay, well, that didn't work. Now my niche is going to be orthodontics. And then after orthodontics, that's when split therapy came out. And I naturally just progressed into, into implants. Now, there are some people where they're just like, you know what, I want to become a specialist. That's great. Go for it. Okay. But if you're in general practice, it's important to expand your skills and learn more and you'll just get a natural affinity to one thing above anything else is what I think happens. 
So I think the, the issue with trying to niche down too soon is had I jumped into implants right from the start, well, actually, I'm actually a better implant surgeon now because I understand chronic pain. I understand, well, actually, I understand the forces going through my implants, forces going through my, through my implant prosthodontics, and I know how to deal with them. I also understand orthodontically, um, even though I don't do the author, I understand orthodontically what can and cannot be achieved and how it can improve my implant outcomes. And because of the restorative work that I've done and the training that I've had, I understand occlusion as well. Now, you and I, we've both sat with Riaz Yar, and uh, he understands occlusion to a much higher level than what either of us do, but he's a specialist. And so this is the benefit of not niching too soon, is that it gives you much better rounded ability when you do actually start to niche down. You know, for example, some of the better endodontists that I know, uh, they also like placing implants. And they can make that judgment call wow. better as to whether a tooth can be restored or whether it, it should be doing implants. Um, now, even within implant dentistry, it's really important to understand there's different niches between, in implant dentistry, okay? Um, when you first start, we always recommend placing implants out of the aesthetic zone towards the back and the field ridges, okay? Then you can start to build up your proficiency um, in immediate implants. Then you can start to build up your proficiency in grafting. And grafting is not easy. You know, people think, oh, you slap on a little bit of bone, membrane, you, you're great to go. It really isn't easy. There's different ways of doing it. There's uh, different indications for different methods. And it's not always predictable. And so you need to understand how that is. So I know some people where they will build a niche within implant dentistry and within the subtopic of grafting. And then obviously my niche at the moment is not even just within implants. It's within full arch reconstruction because that's what we do here all day, every day. And it's just been a natural progression for me. So the advice that I would give to the younger dentist is... A, don't be in a rush, but I understand why you feel you want to be in a rush. I was in the same situation as you as well. I was like, I want to do this. I want to do it now. Okay. Um, I see a lot of people, as soon as, they, as soon as they're coming out of university, they're like, I'm going to be a celebrity cosmetic dentist. There are people out there. I've been graduated since 2002, so that's coming up to 20 years. I'm very good at my aesthetic work. There are people out there who will just walk circles around me because they have niched down and they're so highly proficient. So what I was expressing is uh, to the younger colleagues is I understand why you want to uh, niche early. Um, sometimes it'll work out, sometimes it won't, but have that flexibility that you know, if you start to do something, you're finding out you're not enjoying it, you can shift into something else. Uh, and, you know, that's what's happened to me. It sounds like um, uh, that's what's happened to you on a couple of occasions as well. It is really satisfying when you find that thing that you really love, yeah? So the benefits to our patients, because we're focused only on full arch uh, implants, is we end up being very proficient at it, and we can uh, intercept problems before they actually, uh, before they actually cause problems because you're just exposed to it all the time. You know, if you're doing one or two arches uh, or one or two full mouths per year, you're not going to build up that muscle memory in order to be able to really help these patients. When you do it day in, day out, you're immersed in it. And this is what happened when I started at Evo Dental is uh, I started right at the beginning of the training pathway. And uh, I was just immersed in it with my mentor. And I progressed, I progressed really quite quickly because I had the background in implants already. 
but you find that that muscle memory builds up really quickly when you're doing it all day every day. So you need those ten thousand hours. You need you, you need a good amount of time and exposure to it to be able to build up that muscle memory. I think the two takeaway points and reflections from what you just said there was um, a not to rush uh, and b be open to the opportunities for learning that are out there. And eventually, you'll automatically be attracted. Uh, like, for example, Rina Wadia once told me when we were having the same similar discussion about know, seven years ago, she was saying that automatically, when you get the dental update in the post or the BDJ, you'll automatically start flicking to the pages that interest you, just subconsciously. And you'll slowly, just through the forces of nature, start to find the affinity towards that micro-speciality. And I guess um, this was echoed to me by periodontists saying that try and become the best person in composites or the best person in perio. Be the go-to guy for sedation. Yeah. And I think there is a lot of power in that. Like you are becoming the go-to. You are the, you're definitely the go-to guy for splints. Uh, and, and now you're definitely the go-to guy. I think you're emerging in, in a full arch uh, implant case. I, I love your passion. I know you've studied so hard, uh, extra qualification stuff. So it's, it's great to see you blossom. And I think it's great that you have that story because it's inspiring to young dentists who who maybe um, feel as though they can't change their niece too far down that rabbit hole. It's not the case. You're a living example of that, that, you know, you're 20 years qualified, but you're not slowing down anytime soon, right? You're, you're still exploring this uh, niche that you found, uh, and it wasn't something that you had from day one. So that's epic. And one more saying that I've thought of is, um, the riches are in the niches. So obviously it's niches, but you know, to make it all work, the riches are in the niches. And I truly believe that once you can be the go-to person for that one field, um, you'll be rewarded for it. I think there's two sides to that sword, uh, but you're absolutely right. My, my training, my passion hasn't slowed down at all. So the next stage of training for me is zygomatics. Um, so we're all, I'm already in the process of being trained for zygomatics. I've done some courses. And uh, at Evo Dental, we've got one of the most experienced zygomatic surgeons on the planet joining the team next month. So my mentoring is going to be done directly under his supervision. So even within the niche of full arches, there is another subset niche. You know, you can just keep going and going with this. So I think the, the upside to it is when you start to niche down, there are few people who can, from a business point of view, who can start to compete with you, okay? The, but what I was saying about that dual-edged sword, the other issue is, is a lot of people don't understand it, so you won't get the referrals, but the patients don't understand. I mean, let me give you an example, Jazz, is you know as well as what I do, is that, you know, we can turn around and say to patients, we don't care if you've had migraines for 20 years, there's a solid chance we'll be able to get rid of them. They don't believe you. And so generating that marketing to push to patients so that they understand that we can help them, you know, because they've never heard of it, and quite often these patients have tried everything under the moon, they just think it's another way to scan them, basically. So the upside to niche is you have a very strong skill set, which very few people can, can compete with. But the downside to niching is fewer people have heard of what you do, so it's harder to generate that business. But... Once the, once the momentum of that locomotive starts, then it's hard to stop. It, it takes time, it takes effort. So anybody who's listening needs to understand. You know, it may take you 5, 10, 15, 20 years, but you know, don't expect it to happen overnight. You know, it's, uh, there was an old saying, I can't remember who it was, and um, I think it was a, a singer, or, and, and if you're all of a sudden within the space of a four or six months became extreme, like world famous, 
And people said, I remember reading in an interview, somebody turned around and said to him, how does it feel to deal with this uh, overnight success? And he said, this overnight success I've been working on for 20 years. You know, <laughs> so it, it takes time to build. And uh, people are in a rush nowadays. The world doesn't work like that. Keep working hard, keep studying, you'll eventually get there. And if you don't want to niche and you're quite happy doing general dentistry, great. That's a niche in itself. I really I was waiting for that message because that is so important because a lot of people don't want to niche down to a specific area and they love the variety. They look at their day list. They have children. They have some perio. They maybe have an implant you know, in a premolar region. They have a root canal and they love that and they're great and, and that's good. So that itself, it should be respected. It, it's great to have that. Um, and you can market yourself more widely, which is a, a great point you made about the a downside of, of, of niching down. I think the two themes that we need to explore in, in the next 15, 20 minutes or so is a... If you start niching down, the fact that you have to become comfortable to not doing molar render anymore, for example, like let's say I'm niching down into uh, implants like uh, as you have, uh, I need to build that muscle memory and therefore I'll be doing less of endo, I'll be doing less of uh, some other procedures basically. And then it doesn't make you any less of a dentist because you won't be able to do that stuff anymore and you have to be comfortable with that and I want to hear your take on that. And then B, let's talk specifically then about niching down into implants for, for the young dentist because I can share some experiences uh, and some reasons why I am hesitant to start dabbling in implants because I feel as though I need to go all in if I do implants. So we'll discuss that theme as well. But, but let's start with that uh, first one is about being comfortable uh, in your skin that you now can uh, limit the procedures that you do? It, it's very hard to start with because it's gonna, the first place it's going to hit you is your wallet. When you are trying to increase your skin in something but you're not very proficient at it, to start with it takes a lot of time to be able to do even the simple stuff. And to dedicate that time, you've got to drop down other stuff which is bringing you in income. So the first place it's going to hit you is your wallet. But you just have to be comfortable with it. So when I owned my practice, I did, actually, uh, I did actually own a microscope. I was actually pretty damn good at endo. But then I ended up having to sell my microscope uh, to try to keep the business afloat. Um, and I very, found out very quickly, I can't see. I can't do endo anymore. And then I, I ended up referring all of my molar endo out. And then very shortly, I was referring all my molar and premolar endo out. And not too long after that, it was just like, you know what? I, I don't want to do any endo whatsoever. And that's, that then starts to free up your time. So it's important to realize that because it takes time, it has to start with that passion. Because if it doesn't start with that passion, you're just going to turn around and say, I'm sorry, I'm not prepared to drop this income. And it will impact your income to start with. It just naturally does. But then what happens, like, uh, for example, because I've been doing implants for a long time now, if I get a very straightforward implant case, and they're not, they're not all like this, if I get a very straightforward implant, let's say single implant, when I first started placing implants, is it may have taken me three hours to do that case. I can now do it in 12 minutes. You know, I think the fastest I've placed an implant from the patient coming in to the patient leaving is about eight minutes, including anesthetic. But that didn't, I didn't get to that position overnight. When I first started at Evo, my average length of time that it took me to do a dual arch was about five hours, five and a half hours. Now my average length of time is just under three hours, and that's good. Um, uh, more complex cases that can take a little bit longer, you know, straightforward cases, two, two and a half hours. But that, again, that didn't happen overnight. That happened because I was immersed to it every single day. I had a mentor sat on my shoulder saying, don't do it this way, do it this way. You're going to get a more predictable result. It takes time. And you have to, you have to be able to let go of what doesn't interest you 
to grab hold of what does interest you. You know, you can't you can't hold on to two things with this thing pulling this way and this thing pulling this way. It doesn't work. At some point, you have to let go of this vine to swing further on this vine. Well said. Great analogy, and I think a lot of people need, needed to hear that. Actually, it's really yeah. important to hear that message, as you know. You, you, otherwise, you're completely oblivious. Or, like you said, if you don't have that passion, that yeah. only then does the, the decrease in income really start eating at you. But when you know there's a purpose and an endpoint, and you're trying to uh, upskill in other areas, which will hopefully uh, reap rewards in the future, then you can you can be comfortable with that drop in income. Sorry, I was just going to say, guys, one of the rewards that's come from me from niching into implants, and not even just dabbling in it a little bit but really studying and grafting hard at it, is I'm now in a, in a position where my skills and my knowledge are indispensable to the practice that I work at at Evo. So it's actually job security for me, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, when you have that niche, it actually improves your job security as well. Absolutely. Uh, with implants now, I have dabbled. I've placed a, a few with, uh, under some mentorship and guidance. And I just felt as though there were so many complications, surgical complications, technical complications, uh, restorative complications, things like cold welding, which I never knew existed and it happens to you. Things like a screw being over tightened. Now you can't unscrew it. Things like someone comes in and you see it on Facebook all the time. Uh, which implant is this? Or oh, have a patient in healing and they have this type of implant. And there's so many different brands. That I just feel there are so many challenges, and I, I mean, you know, you're the best person to advise me. But the learning curve for implants is steeper than I've seen in any others, and this is from actually placing and going through that uh, um, sort of procedure. So, but what people tell me is that to place an implant is easy; just you know, to, the actual procedure is easy, but it's nothing simple about the overall overarching uh, concept when it comes to healing as well and uh, patient selection. Uh, but restoratively, the more complex you get and the more challenges you are faced. It's very, very difficult to perfect it. So what would you say to someone who maybe, because I hear this from young dentists all the time, that, you know what, I don't want to get into implants because it just seems like way too crazy for me. So uh, what I would say to that is uh, there's two things that I want to address. Don't be afraid of implants. Um, you know, I'm living testimony that, you know, it can be learned. You know, I didn't, you know, I wasn't born with this knowledge. I wasn't born with this skill set. It's taken me time to develop it. Uh, that means that uh, it's costing a lot of money in terms of education. It's costing cost a lot of money in terms of equipment. And it's costing even more money in terms of mistakes. This is why I keep hammering on about mentors. Because when you start doing this type of work, and particularly the more complex uh, that, that it starts to become, is you're either going to pay to fix your own mistakes or you're going to pay to a mentor to avoid those mistakes. But one ends up with a happy outcome, but you're still going to pay one way or another. I think the other side of the coin as well is, and I I see this a lot, where people are like, okay, I'm going to do a one-year course on implants. I'm going to do one day a month over 12 months, and I'll be able to do full arches. I'll be able to do absolutely everything. I'll be able to do this. I'll be able to do that. It doesn't work like that. It's significantly more complicated than that, okay? Uh, Like you said, is choosing your implant system then you need to learn how to use that implant system. Then you need to uh, understand the the, the biology of patients. You know, we're talking about things like gut bacteria, which can affect healing, psychological stress that can affect healing, vitamin D, we are talking antidepressant use, we're talking uh, proton pump inhibitors. You know, all of this stuff adds up. And so a straightforward implant case isn't actually a straightforward implant case. 
So what I would say is don't be overly daunted about starting, but understand that what's not going to happen is you're not going to do a one-year implant course and be able to do everything. Like what people say with regards to your BDS, once you've, got, once you've done five years at university, you've got your BDS, that doesn't mean you're a good dentist. It's a license to start learning. Once you've done your basic implant course, that's a license to then start learning. I still go on courses. I'm still learning lots. I still read papers every single day. So what I would say is the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. So you have to take that first step, but also understand that it's, it's not going to be done overnight. You're not going to get to the end of a one-year course and all of a sudden be proficient. And the other thing that I hear as well, and this happens a lot in America, where people are like, oh, I'll go to the Dominican Republic for a week. I'll place 50 implants in a week, and that's going to make me a great surgeon. No, because you don't have the follow-up of those patients. You don't see the mistakes. Mm -hmm. You know, I've still got cases from a few years ago where I'm only just fixing now, which have cost me an absolute arm and leg because I thought I was proficient with full arches. I did a full arch. It didn't go according to plan. The patient's not going to pay you again. And this is what I said in my last podcast as well, Jazz, in that, you know, is if you do a, a, an MO restoration on a lower six and it breaks or find the patient comes in, patient's not particularly happy, you can redo the MO restoration. Now imagine what happens when you do a six-unit implant-retained bridge and you put in three or four implants, and that doesn't work. And all of a sudden, one of your implants is fractured. That, correcting that, is significantly more complicated, and it costs you a lot more money out of your own pocket. That, that's exactly what I mean, Pab. You know, it becomes more complex, but then the, the, the failures uh, also become way more complex, way more stressful, which is why some dentists are saying, you know what, I'm not ready for that. But I think what I'm trying to say is, is there a place for dabbling in implants? You know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah, God, tell us, can you just do the odd, uh, you know, one implant a month to replace a lower molar and then keep it at that? Some of the most successful dentists, and these are the ones where they're general dentists, they do quite a lot of different things. But what they will do very, very successfully is they'll do an implant course and they will pick, cherry pick and choose the easy cases. The more complex cases, they will either refer out or they'll get somebody into the practice to do it for them. Just because you, it, it's the same as ortho jazz, you know, if you're doing orthodontics, there's a very big difference between, you know what, we're going to do, do short-term ortho because the patients have a little bit of relapse, everything towards the back is fine, I know that this is within my skill set, we can get it done in about six months, okay, versus, you know, this patient is an orthognathic surgery patient. You know, you don't do an ortho course and all of a sudden start doing orthognathic surgery cases. And it's the same with implants. It's, you know, you can do healed ridges towards the back of the mouth. What's the most commonly removed tooth in the mouth? It's upper and lower first molars because they've been in the mouth for longer. They've had more dentistry done to them. You know, so if you've got a lower molar that's missing, there's a ton of bone and it's a healed ridge, absolutely go for it. There's a lot of uh, uh, business to be done and it's less stress as well, Jazz. Because it's out of the smile line, it's nothing complicated. And then if you get something in that needs a sinus lift, get somebody in or refer the patient out. You know, the patients will actually respect you more if you turn around and say to them, look, I can't do this for you because it's more complicated, but I know a guy who can. I think that's a great message for, for those who, who, like me, sometimes think, ah, is it, is it worth it? But if you do, just like they do on the ortho courses, you start with your class one base relapse cases or in the implant world, the, the, the sort of analogy would be or the similarity would be a lower or an upper first molar out of the smile zone and build from there. You never know. That might be something that interests you more and more and then you end up doing more courses, soft tissue courses, moving to anterior, or you might just stay as um, keeping that as part of your 
larger skill set and then you can do that but you have people to refer to so i think that really does help actually and i think i'm hoping that's gonna help a lot of people listening as well in terms of who are afraid young dentists who are afraid to get involved with implants because they know that the field can be famous for or infamous even for its complexities and and uh, litigation or the justifying the higher fees of um in, indemnity because i the, the the flip side of that Pavin, I'm sure you know loads of these is people who have done the one year course for implants or people who have done an MSc and then never went on to place an implant again. Yeah, you know, I hear it all the time. You know, people do an MSc, they've, they've placed um, four or five implants and uh, they still need mentoring or they, they just don't do it because they haven't built up that confidence. Um, you know, okay, let's say start, somebody starts placing the simple implants and all of a sudden they want to progress and they think, right, the next thing for, for me to do is to learn how to do sinus lifting. Well, sinus lifting is complex in itself. You know, so first you've got to go on a sinus lifting course, which is going to cost you three, three and a half thousand pounds. You've then got to get the sinus lift kit, and there's different lifts for different indications. Uh, then you need to go to your indemnity. The indemnity is going to turn around and say to you, right, as soon as you're going into sinuses, right, we're adding two and a half thousand pounds onto your premium. You know, and if you're doing one or two lifts per year, is it really worth it? Whereas if, like what we do at Evo, you're going into the sinus two, three, four times a week, then obviously it is worth it. And you build up that skill set. There is no harm at any point turning around and saying, this is, I'm comfortable with this level, I don't want to go beyond this, but I'm going to get better at this level. And then when you start to find a niche, is that, that bubbles just automatically start to grow. So you think to yourself, well, actually, I am seeing enough patients to be able for me to warrant doing sinus lifts and uh, learning about them and adding them to, to my uh, to my feed because, you know, I'm having to refer three or four out per month, then that's obviously a different ballgame. But um, don't don't be afraid to, to, to start the journey, but just don't also be naive to think to yourself, uh, this, is a, this is an issue, Jazz, is because the way that I look at it is how many courses would sell is if... The, the people who are running the courses turn around and say to you, well, actually, you know what, we're going to charge you X, X amount, but by the time you get to the end of it, you're only going to be able to do the really simple cases. You know, they, there's a little bit of embellishment. I'm not saying people are being malicious about it, but people want to run these courses, and these courses are sponsored by implant companies. And these implant companies, they're going to want you to buy their implant systems. There's mm-hmm. pros and cons to each implant system. You know, you need to understand what you're buying and make sure that you understand the data so that you're comfortable with it. You know, I did a, a podcast with Bill Schaefer a few a few weeks ago. This is one of the things that we were saying. There are some really crappy implant systems uh, on, on the market. There are some good implant systems. And there are there's certain implant systems which I know are good, but it doesn't fit in with my working style. So the implant system that I've used, I'm comfortable with. It fits in with my working style. And in addition to that, I'm happy with the data, the scientific evidence behind it as well. So you're absolutely right. There is so much to it. It's really overwhelming. I, I, I've just found whenever I'm looking at, you know, when I'm thinking, mm, is it time to, to move up the gear and the you know, implant stuff? I just get totally overwhelmed. Come come visit me at a day at Evo. Hey, you're around the corner, man, of course. Yeah. Yeah, come visit me a day, or spend the day with me, we'll, we'll sort it out. And But it's like, you know, you know, guys, everything's overwhelming. You know what's overwhelming to me, Endo, on any level whatsoever? It's, it's overwhelming. You know what else is overwhelming to me? Composites. Because I've not done them for a, such a long time now. The composites mm-hmm. that I do, they're to, they're to fill screw access channels in implants, and I deliberately make them a different color so I can see them in case I ever need to retrieve it at a later date. 
So we can't be proficient at everything. Don't think that we can be proficient at everything. You know, is is we can have a very good and broad subset. Is we keep going back to this uh, uh, super GDP. Who's uh, one guy I consider a super GDP? Raj Alawalia. He does some absolutely beautiful, beautiful work. Okay, he sends us work to do here because he's just like, no, the, the setup that you guys have got there. This is just like my patients are going to be better off going there. So you know, it's. Don't be afraid and don't be worried about saying to yourself, here's my limitation, I'm going to study to expand that, but also if you say to yourself, here's my limitation, I'm happy with that because I want to do other things as well, that's absolutely fine. And don't let anybody tell you you can or cannot do something. You know, it's, you've got to always put your patient's interest first, but it's a continual learning curve. Amazing. Have you got time for one more question, Pav? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so my last question is, if someone wanted to start their implant journey, maybe they're two, three years qualified, they've found their feet a little bit, they progress enough that they want the next challenge, is it right this whole mantra of learn how to restore implants first, or do you think uh, they should be actually learning how to do the, the surgical aspect as well as same, at the same time as doing the restoring? What, what is your beliefs and thoughts about this? I mean, it's commonly banded around about learn how to restore an implant first, then progress. Is that the right way, in your opinion? You don't necessarily have to um, be able proficient at restoring implants first, but you need to understand the restorative process first. Okay, um, so there's two things that I would say to that: the the best implant surgeons that I've seen understand restorative. The worst implant surgeons that I've seen do not understand restorative. Okay, it really is that simple. And the other thing that a lot of people ask is why is there no speciality in dental implants because it's too large and too complex a field you know is if somebody turned around and said to you right we've developed a specialist training pathway this training pathway is 15 years long people are going to go forget it i'm not interested okay but what a lot of people start to discuss when they when they start to become proficient at implants is implants it's a restorative it is a prosthodontic process with a heavy surgical element that makes sense. So they're yep. putting they're putting the restorative first. Why is that why is that important, Jazz? Because patients don't want implants, they want fixed teeth. 100%. So it's the prosthodontics that's more important, and the implants are just a method to, to, to achieve that. So understanding the restorative process is critically important. There is no reason why you can't learn the restorative and the surgical at the same time. But don't make the mistake, I'm just going to go down the surgical route because you are not doing your patients any favors. And what do you think about this whole concept of young dentists who can't section and elevate, then going on to an implant course? Like people who just can't extract teeth proficiently starting surgery? Because that happens a lot, I feel. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to get your fingers burned. And they're going to be expensive mistakes. You need to start to, you know, whether it's at your local hospital, goes, you know, get a, get a part-time job, raising flaps, removing wisdom teeth, taking out broken teeth. You have to have those surgical skills, okay? Is if you can't take out teeth atraumatically, all, that, all that's going to happen is you're going to get your fingers burnt and you're going to get patients breathing down your neck. So um, patients are going to come in, going to turn around and say, why does this implant look like this? Why isn't this implant taken? Or what you'll do is you'll start a process and understand it's way more complex than what you thought it was going to be. And all of a sudden, you don't have the skills to be able to help that patient. You need to understand that restorative process. You've got to start to build your surgical skills as well. 
Amazing. Pav, you've raced through all my questions, but you know, it's easily been 45 minutes, easy, very easy talking to you. I think we've covered so much there. I think me and you are both naturally quite fast talkers, lend ourselves to podcasting and stuff. So I think uh, there's about there's about 90 minutes of content in this 45 minutes, I think. So uh, I, I think that's been really good. Uh, Pav, thank you so much uh, for your time to share uh, about how your journey of niching down. I think it's going to inspire a lot of young dentists who maybe think that oh, I don't know how to go about this or that maybe they've left it too late. And I think your, your story is sensational. So thank you for sharing it with us. No, and thank you, Jazz, for, you know, um, encouraging me to get into podcasting. You know, I'm really enjoying it as well. You're doing great you things. Know. You've had great... I mean, just the other day, I listened to Paul Homley one, communication. Uh, you're, you're, you're a natural, Pav. You're, you're a natural and I'm enjoying it. Uh, and I think for those people who really want to um, learn more about implants and or, or you're already an implant geek, then, you know, Pav's podcast is the podcast to go to. So do check it out. Hit that subscribe button uh, and let us know what you thought of this episode when it's out. And similarly, anybody listening to my podcast, please uh, uh, look at Jazz as well because uh, he does a lot of great stuff not just focused just on implants uh, but on general dentistry um, and it's the protrusive dental podcast so jazz it's you know it's, it's great seeing your career progress from from you know when i first met you a few years ago i'm very happy for you and very proud for, uh, of you as well i think you are also a very good example of what passion can do for dentistry so you know it's uh, when people just chase uh, the money is you know they're, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna end up unhappy long term uh you know it's you've got you've got to be passionate about what you do and that that obviously comes through um uh, in everything that you do in your podcast thank you so much Pat.